0: And then I go back and there we are. So now you see the share?
1: I'm looking on your page. I don't see it on your page. Let's see.
0: Okay, scroll scroll down a little and maybe. Scroll
1: down, okay. I see your pinned post. Yep, live now, yep.
0: Okay, so you you see the share at the bottom? Okay, so you click on that and we should be all set.
1: share now. There's a little delay, it looks like.
0: Okay, but you okay. hit it this here. Okay, yeah. so hopefully we are on uh, Jennifer's page, and all of her family and friends can watch her live. I'm Diane Wong. This is Let's Talk About Race. We are happy to, uh, to be here and to have you, and here is my co-host.
2: Sarah Saunders, always happy to be here
0: and the, uh, the woman of the hour of the time to talk about climate and racial justice. We have Jennifer Rivers Cole. And Jennifer, this is Let's Talk About Race. We always start by asking people, you've been on the show before, <laughs> we always start by asking people to self-identify, uh, mainly because I think it's important for people to actually see themselves as they talk about race. So could you self-identify racially, ethnically, whatever else you want to say?
1: Yes, absolutely. I am half Lebanese. My father's Lebanese. And um, in terms of my offspring, my children are half Black.
0: Okay. Well, that's good. And uh, so happy to have you here today. I mean, there's. We were talking before, there is so much important information just going on out there. So we want to today focus in on the climate and, um, and 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 kind of the benefits that are coming with this climate change, the poss- potential benefits. And we want to talk about racial justice. So tell us about that. And you have some slides, so you'll show those whenever you're ready.
1: Okay, I can probably just put the slides up. They're not text heavy, I'm <laughs> the least uh, mm-hmm. fan of, uh, presentation view of a presentation. That's beautiful. Uh, yeah, I am the not a fan of lots of text. So I have a couple slides that I can uh, show and I would love it if you um, would stop me and this could be more interactive than me giving a lecture because it's you know not not lecture time. But what I will say um, up front, this is a term that's becoming increasingly used bottom line up front, there are some countries that I have circled in green here that are considered ones that will kind of come out on top in the uh, intermediate time of, of uh, climate change, sort of looking at things. And think about the racial makeup, as you're you know, just asked, of these places. You know, well, let, who- me,
0: let me ask you a quick question. Intermediate. What is an intermediate time that we're looking yeah. at?
1: yeah so this talk is a variant of a talk that i give called climate change winners and losers and i want to want to be very clear that we all could lose and we could lose by 2100 game over so intermediate i'm talking 2030 to 2050 um is when we have a chance uh sort of our last chance to come out on top with this so that's
0: that's that's very soon.
1: <laughs> very soon. This is not a problem of today. This is a problem of yesterday. And, you know, when you start thinking about people who say, is it happening, is it not? That's a question that is uh, was answered in the 1990s. So that is a politically motivated question. It has nothing to do with science. And it is a problem of today and yesterday. So now, what do you see when you look at these red circles in terms of, you know in the intermediate to long term who is going to lose who lives in the atlantic gulf coast who lives in indonesia who lives in places like bangladesh so that's, that's but you
0: also have the atlantic, the us atlantic so this, so we're talking florida georgia florida down the south down the east coast
1: Right. And so you know that I'm trained as a geologist. And if you look at the United States, which this isn't a geology lesson, but you look at the United States, it is on a tectonic plate that's being pulled by California. So California, the coast looks like this. It's very um, steep. That's why they have so many landslides. So if you raise sea level on that coast, on a a very steeply sloped area, you're not going to get much of a sea level rise. But so so here's the um, the Atlantic coast very shallow sloping. so if you think about it if you raise sea level just a little bit you are flooding massively inland so the whole well,
0: so, so that so that means that all of these beaches that people think of because on the on the east coast they think of the the beach more mm-hmm. and in the on the west coast it's it's more of a I lived in Oregon so it was more of a <laughs> If you don't get in the water really on the coast, well, maybe California, but so I, I see that, I see that. cold
1: and it's cliffs. Yeah, right? yes. yeah, yeah. So those are the losers. And you know, if, if you think about this a different way, the winners short-term are going to be the countries that have the money to mitigate, which means to lessen the effects and have the money to adapt. And here's a picture of a seawall so you're looking at the barriers that are built all over already the eastern seaboard to try to buffer the worst of both sea level rise but then also the hurricanes the storms the number one thing that's going to happen as a result of climate change is more storms so think back to hurricane katrina think about who was the hardest hit in katrina where are the areas in new orleans that are still not 100 percent back up so the, the developed countries and the the developing the industrializing countries that cannot afford to adapt and are also very very vulnerable to you know the the, the sort of whimsy they um, they can't adapt they are also very tied to local agriculture and so if you wipe out local agriculture because of a hurricane or a cyclone as they're called there then it can be not good so it comes down to money. And I always tell students in this country, you will be okay. In in Boston, in Massachusetts, you will be okay. But um, it comes down to who has the money. And this is from the New York Times just a couple of days ago, um, we will be okay. We have to knit jobs into environmental solutions. We have got to stop this notion that the environment is a dirty word in business circles. and business is a dirty word in environmental circles that's nonsense and that means that we all are going to you know suffer because of that so we need to um, understand that likely the solutions to climate change are grounded in economics so we have to knit jobs and knit uh, money to environmental solutions
0: Well, well let me ask you another question Now, the last slide that you showed, uh, the people going on, living their lives, walking through the flooded streets, that's not 2021. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, it is 2021, but that's not uh, 2030. That's happening already.
1: Yes, yeah. Right? Yeah. And, you know, in part, it's because of the natural geography and the geology of the area Bangladesh, which that was a picture of, is a delta. So it's the mouth of a river, just like the Mississippi River Delta, Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: it is settling. And sinking from above because the sediment is getting compacted. And then we try to prevent flooding, which is good, except then that means that we prevent the sediment from replenishing on the land. So that sediment is settling and compacting. Sea level is rising. So here's the land surface, here's the ocean. They're going like this. So, in part, we shouldn't be living in some of these areas that are so prone to sinking, settling. And then also, um, we shouldn't be living in these places where sea level is invading. But guess who's, you know, predominantly living in these areas.
2: They're already there. And that would imply like massive uh, redistribution of these populations, many of which are in you know, developing nations as you've already described. So that's a massive effort for a population that is often not sought after by those who would have the resources to actually undergo a project like that. And what you're saying here, where like all of this stuff is coming down to money, like that's completely true. And it's completely true that it doesn't have to be you know, antithetical to each other, like investment economically in something like arcology, even though arcology like as a word is kind of a science fiction concept. But you know, that was a science fiction concept back when it was first thought of. And the modern day, not only is it realistic and possible, it's a necessity with dealing with climate change with something like this. And you know, development and infrastructure that has low impact on on, you know, The climate and the ecology, like that's just a necessary, you know, investment in humanity's future at this point.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, Pharaoh. And you're maybe too young to remember this, but Diane and I do. Uh, In the 70s, thinking about in California, remember the smog that we saw pictures of, Diane, in the 70s? I remember,
0: I do. Orange
1: blanket. And people Uh just said, this is the cost of living in a society. We just have to live in this pollution. Yes, and you know, it would be really nice if carbon dioxide were bright orange because I think we would have acted on this problem already. <laughs> it's it's a shame that carbon dioxide is colorless. So, um, you know, the the um, the smog. People stood up and said. People like Ed Begley Jr. said, "No, it's not the cost of living in our society. We deserve to live in a society, and also not." you know suffer like this and so um the funnily enough nixon was the one who put in place the clean air act and begrudgingly the clean water act um, and it was not a situation where as you know trump and others have said oh you know the the, the economy the economics are of um the environmental movement are too expensive there were so many jobs created there were you know innovations thermostats that were programmable great innovations in in insulation catalytic converters were created as a result of this problem so we had technological leaps forward we had a boom to our economy and we had a lot of jobs created so you know i don't i'm not sure why we're scared of this now because we've already done this and we've done it well so yeah
0: so so what is what what well let me ask a a different question why was it during the Trump era that nobody could say climate what is it that they're afraid of
2: I'd say that at least just from my memory that it started a bit earlier than that though it definitely continued well through the Trump era you know
1: different Presidents have been in the pockets of different interests. And I try to tell this to my students it's not necessarily a bad thing. Think about Obama. He came from the Midwest. He was um, influenced by agriculture and agricultural business. You have to. That's your constituency. That's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, the Bushes were in the oil and gas industry. And so that was their constituency. That's how they got elected. And, you know, And we could talk for hours about deregulation of electricity in Texas and what happened with with all those wild fluctuations in prices because of the cold snap down there. But I mean, the bottom line is that this is not a partisan issue, but it tends to be that recently uh, Republicans are more uh, kind of in bed with oil and gas and oil and gas is hanging on to this notion that they need to be the underpinnings of our energy in this country, and they don't. And so I have some slides that show that they're they're hanging on a little too long. But I think that's what you know that's at the heart of it. That's why you couldn't say climate change because when you say climate change, what do you think of as the solution? Swap away from fossil fuels. Yep. And there's a lot of agricultural things that you can do as well, um, but swapping away from fossil fuels is not something that those who are put in power essentially by oil and gas and to a lesser extent coal are interested in so if you deny the whole phenomena then you can do business as usual
2: so we're just waiting for them to figure out fusion energy at MIT and then uh we had a different situation
1: <laughs> yeah we say we're 50 years away from fusion. And 50 years ago, we said, we're 50 years away from fusion. And 100 years ago, we said, yeah. so, And, you know, event,
2: and uh, eventually one day, we'll just be there. We'll have thought that it was 50 years wow. away the day before it happens.
1: Exactly, exactly. You know, the thing is, um, I teach energy courses and I teach agriculture courses, Farrell. And the way to solve energy is not through innovations in the energy type. It Mm -hmm. is in batteries. It's in storage. We can make all the energy we want. It just, it's, we have a fragile aging grid and it doesn't like intermittent power. So that's why you don't see the skyline peppered with, you know, with solar panels and with wind turbines because the grid needs constant energy. And Mm -hmm. those are intermittent sources of power and the grid doesn't like that. But if we can store it, if we can come up with batteries, and there's a lot of really cool things going um, coming coming down the pipe with regard to batteries, graphene. Look that up sometimes. It's the coolest thing ever. And you know, biofuel I think is the way over it. Diane, as you're saying, what is intermediate, um, 20 up to 2050? I think biofuel, biodiesel is going to be it because it is. Yeah, it's a shell game, but it's considered carbon neutral because you take the carbon dioxide out of the air that week with algae. And then you burn the algae it is over a much shorter time frame that you're cycling carbon in the atmosphere so you know when i ever get an extra couple of nickels i um put on the stock market anyone any companies that are uh, looking at biofuel because i think that's that's you know that's a constant source of energy you can move it it has a high energy yield so well
0: what what's what's going on with the fusion why why is that Uh, keep being put off what is fusion energy anyway
1: yeah so nuclear there's two types there's fission where you take an atom and you break it and when you break it you release a huge amount of energy and that becomes a chain reaction which is what you're seeing what you saw with fukushima with the chernobyl meltdown if you have this breaking of electrons or sorry of um, atoms into smaller atoms you release a neutron which will then to start breaking apart other ones and it becomes a chain reaction which is why mm-hmm. in a nuclear uh plant you have to have these moderators that go in and absorb excess neutrons so you can control the reaction nuclear is great i love nuclear nuclear is a decent source of energy and everyone i know who you know who is in this business says you know like it or not this is this is you know what we need to be looking at uh, we need to reprocess the fuel so we're not sitting around with lots of um of um, waste, but fusion is when you take um, two hydrogen atoms, for example, and you smash them together and you make helium and you make gargantuan sums of energy. Here's the thing with no pollution. And there's enough energy in the head of a pin if you can get to fusion to fuel the city of Boston's energy needs for a week with no pollution. The problem is, and we've done it. The problem is we need to have it go on in a sustained fashion in an energy positive manner and now we can do it but we put more energy into it and we get uh, psh, and that's it and, and so it's energy negative right now and so it's just too, way too expensive but that's um that's the limit of, of my knowledge and my pay grade <laughs> well,
0: well, I, I thought that you know we've been having we've had nuclear energy for a long time but that kind of went out of favor when you saw the the, you know the, the nuclear reactions and problems what happened why why did we give up on that
1: it's people it's people um, you know and, and Japan uses a lot of nuclear France is what eighty five percent nuclear when they don't have vast reserves of coal and oil like we have and have small land masses it's a it's a good way to um, have, to create energy uh. It's whimsical. As soon as you see something happen, like the Tohoku earthquake, uh, you shut down the future of energy departments close, nuclear departments close, um, because people say no more, no more, and everybody gets mobilized against it. And then we forget and we start saying, oh gosh, we're in an energy crisis, let's go nuclear. So it's very difficult to, to advise geology students about the future and to say, hey, go into a career in nuclear energy because it's a boom bust cycle. It's either you're going to be really really wanted or really really useless.
0: <laughs> so, when are we, are we getting to the place within the climate where um, we're going to start to grab for solutions? We're, we're right now. I guess we don't care if a Bangladesh is underwater, uh, and and we probably won't care when our southern the continent is underwater. So. Because what you showed on the on the slide was the northern countries are are going to survive Mm -hmm. for a while, right? Well, what's going to happen? Why why are we going to change and what kind of change can we do that will make a real difference?
1: We have got to shift towards renewables. That's that's what we do. And you know, there's, there's two things that we have to do. We have to shift to renewable energy technologies. And I don't mean alternative, I mean truly renewable. And the answer to that is batteries. And the other thing we have to do is fix agriculture. And uh, the way that we fix agriculture is to stop growing so much corn and stop eating so much meat and stop drinking so much dairy. Um, so I can, Diane, I can fix all environmental problems in two quick steps. <laughs> I mean it, all of them because there's no such thing as environmental problems. There are only economic problems. And when yep. you make the right thing cheaper, people do that. You know, you go to the grocery store and you have to decide between organic butter that's 9.99 a pound or conventionally grown butter that's worse on the environment and worse on your health for 3.99 a pound. And it's unconscionable that you have to make yeah. the choice between your pocketbook and your health and the health of the earth around you. So. The two things that you have to do are, number one, withdraw the subsidies from the oil and gas industry and put them into renewables. And number two, withdraw the subsidies from the agricultural industry, specifically corn and specifically dairy and and animal-based things, and put them into local, decentralized agriculture. Going back to eating local, going back to the way the Indians grew food. And then we don't, I I won't have a job because we won't have environmental problems. Well, you
0: know, it's it's all, it is economics, it's all economics, it always is, yeah. Completely.
2: Like, this sort of issue uh, was something I was discussing with my friend recently, because I'm writing something about a science fiction setting where, this actually isn't the main, like, point of it, because in the said setting, this is an issue that has been solved a long time ago, and that is because it's not a technologically complex issue, relatively speaking, it's just an issue of, you know, the... uh, the interests of those groups in power and who's willing to lobby for what and things like that it is exactly that this isn't you know we don't it's not that we don't have the answers it's Not that we don't have the technology it's just a matter of the will and the interests of those who would oppose it Will. Mm-hmm.
1: absolutely absolutely yeah very well said so do you want me to move move on to a couple of these? Or are we done with yeah. this? No. Oh yeah, I, okay. like the,
0: I like your slides. They're beautiful. Okay.
1: <laughs> so some more of the losers. There are some economic, so agricultural winners, but some of the geographic losers are some types of um, agriculture and people in um, agribusiness will suffer. So um, where it's getting hotter and drier, Australia, places like that. Um, there's going to be crop failure. There's also going to be less tourism and there's going to be extreme weather, so droughts, famine. But there are also some economic and geographic winners. So wheat is going to be moved towards corn, um, sadly. Grapes uh, are in many places going to be um, favored because the climate is getting warmer and wetter in some places. And then in certain regions, tourism will increase and therefore property value will increase. Uh, some of the losers in the energy sector are coal. Coal, this is a picture or a table rather that shows the market share of the electric power sector generation and you can see so far, this is from last year in 2020 things were declining. So and then renewables were coming up and this trend has continued it's You know, I'm picking last year's data because the pandemic has thrown everything into tumult in the energy and also agricultural sector with supply chain. But remember for a while back last April, um, the price of crude oil was negative. How does that even happen? That's because of supply demand because of the pandemic. So it's, it's really difficult to read the market on that. But a clear winner here is here's 2010 and predicted through to 2023 for photovoltaic, and then concentrated solar power, just another way to get electricity from the sun. And you see that this is the number of dollars, US dollars per kilowatt hour, so measure of the energy that's produced. So how much money it costs to produce this energy from 2010 when we were saying, oh, hand-wringing, it's too expensive, to here we are now, and it is cheaper. Um, and same thing with wind, offshore and onshore wind. So the winners are going to continue to be and need to continue to be the renewables. Uh, some of the losers here um, are insurance, insurance companies. This is a graph that shows billion-dollar disaster events. So these are enormous, enormous disaster events. And you see that um, through the year, there have been a lot of disasters um, that are expensive. Also, losers are the healthcare industry. They are going to have increased costs. And this is even besides the pandemic, They're neotropical diseases, heat stress, heat stroke, um, injuries due to natural disasters that are going on that are going to increase the cost of healthcare for all. Uh, what is this? Oh yeah, some, some things that are you know trivial, but add to our aesthetic. Um, the local, local winners, here we are in Cambridge, right? Um, poison ivy is going to win ticks are winning ticks are out there oh my gosh right now it's insane Um, bald eagle hatchling survival rates will increase lilacs are blooming earlier here's something um uh diane you know my partner jacqueline is in the real estate uh trade and um year-round you can suddenly work it used to be we used to have to
0: right um, i've noticed that yeah construction construction is working
1: yeah exactly
0: yeah Yeah. yeah, this area bustles with uh, new construction all the time.
1: Yep, all year long, yeah. So um, some of the losers, dairy cows are giving less milk. Maybe that's good because maybe that will be a supply demand thing. Maple sugaring trees are moving north. So especially in Massachusetts, uh, we won't have maple sugaring to the extent we have. Um, apple orchards are becoming less productive. My kids got uh, snowboarding passes or a seasons pass to snowboarding this season, and they were um, very disappointed. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have to drive farther and farther to get on the the ski yeah. snows, which is fine with me. I don't do any of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like going outside in the snow. <laughs> Come on. The snow removal industry, how about that? You have people around here that have put money into buying plows, buying, you know, starting yeah. businesses around snow removal, and they're not doing so well right now. Uh, Plant animal species, sadly, the invasives. Uh, I sit on the board of a conservation, I sit on a conservation commission and we're looking at a case right now of, do we need to be harvesting plants that are um, Phragmites, bladderwort, that are invasives that are just taking over ponds? And so some of the plants that are needing less water um, are taking over. Uh, Frogs are winners. Cockroaches, is everybody's favorite animal, and deer <laughs> yeah. thrive in transitional environments. So these are some yeah. of the winners. Um, some of the losers, again, maple syrup, natives, uh, koala bears, if you're talking about Australia, a lot of rare and endangered species are going away. We are in the Anthropocene. That is the um, largest mass extinction ever in the recorded rock record of Earth, and it's because of habitat fragmentation and climate change. So what's this? Oh, your food, right? Um, so some of your favorite food, if you like lobsters, they're going up to um, the Atlantic provinces now. You're not going to have uh, Gulf lobsters, you're not going to have Maine lobster. This is a PSA from um, Maine, and it's <laughs> its fight climate change so that we can keep our lobsters. That's you know one of the big industries in Maine is lobsters. But then I saw this in a Nova Scotia um, ad. I'm joking. That's fine.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Because the distribution of lobsters are in fact moving or moving northward. Mm-hmm. Um, some, of, some of your favorite food, right? Lobsters from Canada, maple syrup from Canada, sorghum, we're going to move over to different grains because we're not going to be able to grow wheat because of the fact that these are being less productive. And I don't know what you both think of genetically modified food, you know I think I,
2: it's a necessity scientifically i think that it's something that people are right to be skeptical of but you know that's the future you know when we get around to gene tailoring but well, we already do i guess but more regularly you know it'll, it's just advancement of medicine agreed um it's
1: the, the tough thing about GMOs is that it's putting the hands uh, putting putting power of food into the hands of multinational corporations under yep. patent law which is taking food away from people. That is true. So you know to end there are what is that? why is my name there? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, there are opportunities for engineers. I, um, ha- I work with a student that is um, a, a certified reliability engineer, really really interesting gentleman who is looking at power plants. He works in nuclear and oil power plants and he is trying to get power plants to think about their plants as part of uh, what he calls the geosphere that is located on earth and it is impacting humans. So um, I asked him if I could show you a couple of these slides because here's, here's racial justice at its uh, potentially worst and historically worst, but potentially best. Uh, This is the Motiva power plant in Port Arthur, Texas. So this is just zooming in. And what you see is this is awful. This is the refinery complex. So they take crude oil and they refine it into various types of, you know, propane, pentane, octane on it. This is residential development. We should not be putting people next to a power plant with all of that air pollution and chemical releases. Are you kidding? And then there's some, this is to the west-northwest, so it's essentially ringed in residential de- um, development. So my student Drew is looking at trying to essentially, this is a kind of a variant on reparations that to buy this uh, these homes from people at a very good price and to turn that into a wetland so that this will be a, a natural ability of an ecosystem to absorb the pollution that comes from this plant and to uh, lessen the potential cancer risk. We're in the Gulf here. These are America's petrochemical cancer alleys. And so you can look at the numbers here, but this is your risk of getting cancer. And there are some serious hotspots here and they're tied to petroleum refining. So uh, this is the area around the Motiva plant and that is uh, now air. So um, lung issues, hotspots there. There's a cancer risk map for Port Arthur so zooming in right around that refinery. And this is a social justice issue because this is the cancer belt. It is in the worst in the nation for toxic emissions that can make you sick. And the um, black population in Jefferson County around Port Arthur is disproportionately affected. 80% of the black population has some health impacts associated with living near this plant. The people that live there suffer, as you can see, four times the respiratory issues. It is a a social justice situation where we need to move people away from this plant and make it safer for people, whether that is uh, moving cities. And I put this picture up. This was a uh, town in Norway that um, was moved some of the more sensitive buildings were moved. And you see that this is now a boon for jobs. All I see are jobs. You see people that are moving, you see now you have to re-plumb, you have to re-electric, you have to re-pipe everything and give people money to live in safe spaces. Um, so there are also some interesting technological innovations that are coming about as a result of the fact that climate change is causing these forest fires in the in the the north uh, the uh, southern California all over the place there's a gel that is non-toxic that they spray preemptively on trees that can cut wildfires it doesn't harm wildlife and it is it is um, considered a a mitigation strategy. So um, other innovations can we harvest rainwater there's going to be less water in certain places can we harvest rainwater we have to switch away from fossil fuels. But doing this and doing it right will allow for lots of jobs, lots of jobs. Coal mining does not actually, despite what people think, um, employ a lot of people. And so if we can move to renewable uh, energy and innovations in transportation systems, then we have a good situation. What can you do? I think this is the last slide. You can take public transportation. Cambridge is great with that, right? You can walk places, you can get a hybrid or electric car if you want. Um, electric um, energy, better bulbs when you have that. We've moved from incandescent, which my power geek friend call um, incandescent bulbs, 99% efficient heaters, which means that they're grossly inefficient as light sources, CFLs to LEDs, which is great. Um, planting trees um, and then also recycling paper so uh, do you, I'll end with, with this and hope that you will all talk now. Do you know the story of the, the little boy on the beach with starfish? Have you ever heard of I don't think so. I tell yeah. this all the time. I'll stop sharing now. Because I tell this all the time in my environmental classes. Little boy was walking on the beach and there are millions of starfish, as far as you can see, baking out in the sun and dying. And the Little boy's taking a starfish, throws it into the ocean and then he takes another one and throws it into the ocean. And a man walked by and started mocking him and said, there are millions of starfish out here. You can't possibly think that you're making a difference. And he took another one and threw it into the ocean and he said, I made a difference to that one. So we have to start thinking you know, globally, even as we're thinking about protecting each individual member of our society, especially those who are uh, more, more fragile, more vulnerable.
0: And, and that's it. That's what it, it, it always is too much. When you think you just think about climate change. And you think about the, you know, the, the continents and the water, and then you see the pictures, it makes you say, wow, that's a lot. And I can't do anything about that. So I'm going to just give up. But, but there are things that we can do um, what, what are some of the things that we could start doing organizationally? How can we organize? What are the kind of coalitions? How can we make a difference with people who have some platform? Like we have the Racial Justice Collaborative. And so that there is a platform. We've got some people who are willing to work for racial justice. So thinking about uh, the, the bigger picture, how do what where do we even start to build coalitions? And hopefully we'll start with some coalitions that are already established. Joining so you're,
1: yeah, you're already doing it. The, the, I think the number one thing you can do is educate people about the issues and and start the conversation. You're you're doing the number one most important thing, Diane and Farah. You're, 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 you're educating people, you're taking the time out of your life to Make this matter and to start these conversations. Uh, number two thing, vote. I think that it's important to have people drop the guilt about, oh no, I have some plastic that I bought and I threw it away. Drop the guilt, and you know, vote is the, the voting is the second most important thing you can do, and the third is to um, <laughs> eat less meat. So.
0: we're on board we we can do those
1: things
0: (laughs) and and I think if we just if we did you see every time I talk and we're talking now I see a program that comes out of this an educational program because what we're trying to do is through these Eventbrite types of programs Eventbrite can collect the email addresses it does collect the email addresses of people who sign up even if they don't come So at least if you have people who signed up, now something may have come up, you know, maybe they had a chance to go to the beach, maybe they had a chance to take a sauna, they had a chance to do something and so they didn't do it, but that doesn't mean they're not interested. And that doesn't, and so it's just like everything else in your life, you start to pay attention to the things that keep coming up, keep coming up. So I agree with you, what we can do is keep bringing things up. And, and getting people to join us. We want, we want people to join us. For, for one thing, everybody's connected to something and to somebody else. And so pretty soon we have a groundswell of, 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 of people. So that's, that's what I think we can do. I, when I used to live in Oregon and used to be in, uh, in, in a university, and we would always have meetings and people would always say when we were trying to organize something, they would look around and say, well, you're preaching to the choir. You know, this this isn't the right group we need to have. And they would always mention some fringe group. And then I would say to them, no, let's start with us because when we start talking, we'll find that we have some things in common, but we don't know about a lot of other things. And so we're gonna learn from each other, and because we learn from each other and we go home, we share, when you go home, you'll share something that we did today. Maybe your children are watching and their friends, your friends, and you'll share with them and then they'll share with their friends. And pretty soon we'll look around and say, how did this happen? Things are changing. And it's because we are all involved, doing, talking to each other and moving along, moving things along. That's what we're all doing.
1: Absolutely. And it doesn't have to take over your life. We're blasted with a fire hose of things, right? It doesn't have to take over your life. You can share things on Facebook and think about the choices you make as you're living your life and doing other things. I've dedicated my life to this. It doesn't mean others need to, but others should pay attention and, you know, others should pay attention to the very good causes that you're talking about and your, um, I don't know if you're making public at your, your summer plans. Um, oh, yeah.
0: we're have, we have had big summer plans. We, we, we're looking at, uh, this is a good time to tell people. We're looking at the issue that's popping up. We were talking about this earlier of reparations. And so what do we need to do as we prepare to get to that conversation? We need education because even in all the years that I've been doing this work, I'm still learning new things all the time. And as I look at schools and what schools are uh, bringing forward for, for students, there's a lot that they're not bringing. And so we have to stop waiting for other people to take responsibility for our education. Farrell, you should speak to this because that's that's a big issue. Uh, Farrell talks about that that all the time. Take, take responsibility for your own life, everybody out there in listening uh range and and look up everything that jennifer said she called herself jen jen everything jen said (laughs) (laughs) and find out where these places are all the slides that she showed and learn and and then more and more you'll just become knowledgeable and you'll be a cup running over and we all need to be cups running over with awareness
2: That's, that's always something I advocate for. If you ever hear something that you didn't already know, you might as well look it up and research it because you have a supercomputer in your pocket.
1: It's amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. overwhelming sometimes. But yes, you can do that right in the grocery store. Should I buy this or this? Oh,
0: I do that all the time in the grocery I check everything. I, and you know another good source of information? Amazon. <laughs> because... People on Amazon are, are, are sending in reviews so you can at least find out about, you know, their experience. You don't have to take it uh, as as definite, but it's just more information, more research that you're doing as you make choices for yourself, your families, your lives. So, so
1: that, that's a, that's an um. That's an interesting thing to talk about too, because when I teach about these topics of climate justice, of agriculture, of energy, the students oftentimes say, why don't we know this? And there is a lot of money being made because people don't know this. That is true. So that we're eating a Big Mac at McDonald's and it costs less than a salad because of externalities, because of tax breaks to you know these these um, these food companies that are ruining the atmosphere, causing climate change, causing us to be unhealthy. Um, people are making a lot of money, making us sick, and they don't want you to know these things. So it's good to take the the um, initiative to learn them and learn them from not the dairy industry and not the cattle industry and not Conagra.
0: And and, and making yourself healthy is takes frankly a lot of research because even your inclination why are you inclined to go somewhere to eat or why do why every time we get together does it have to be a food fest (laughs) (laughs) why why can't we find other things to do Uh, so Jen I know I see your pictures on Facebook and I know you do a lot of outdoor stuff you're always going out and you're doing camping and Uh, you live by water and you're out and you 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 run in the snow and (laughs) look at her facebook she's running in the ice and snow so there are other things to do besides eat And, and because one of the problems that we have as a society not just eating meat which is big but just eating too much so we're killing ourselves and and large part of the 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 reason that we're dying is because we've got too much stuff f- stuffed in. We're full of fat and, and we're, we don't have any muscle. And why is that? Because of our lifestyle. So we need to make a lot of changes just to have just so that while you're alive, you can live. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's you know that's that's a great solution because that helps your health and you know talking about climate justice and talking about the environment it helps the environment if we all you know if that's the only thing you do as a result of watching you know this this show is hey next time i go get together with friends i'm going to say why don't we go for a walk or you know go 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 walk yeah you know, walk around a pond or go for a bike ride rather than let's go to applebees and drink Bottles of wine and eat cheeseburgers. That will, you know, the earth will be better off and your wallet will be better off and your health will be better off. So it's a win-win-win. That
0: that is in the point. We have started now. There's a lot of advantages of this Zoom operation. I I love it. I'm going to keep it going because I can reach people and we can connect from all over. But but now we have family game night every other Saturday and we play games. And so d- do find something else to do besides get gather and, and, and eat. That's just a habit. We're just in the habit of yeah. thinking about it. It happens. is a
2: habit. And it's not even a modern habit. That's a pretty ancestral human trait across every human culture, you know, but, you know, we used to live in a world as a species with much less access to food. So that's, you know, the yeah. context difference, yeah. but that's, on a very cultural and genetic level ingrained in people Mm -hmm. that's what you do in group functions that's something that brings units whether it be a family unit clan unit like whatever tribe whatever you want to call it together is that sort of thing
1: that's a really good point pharaoh and so that requires changing a culture or changing so many cultures and you asked me to self-identify in the Lebanese culture. When somebody comes to your house, you put out every piece of food you have on the table and you make sure that people are stuffed the whole time. And this is just our culture. And it would be seen as rude if we didn't do that, or if you know, we we put out some tea and biscuits or something. You put it all on the table and you let people sit there and you know, it's it's very difficult, I think, to change these cultures because you're right, Pharaoh, historically there has been food scarcity yeah the food scarcity. and
2: that's uniform that's not one that's not one culture or the other that's literally every human culture to ever exist
0: yeah and so, now we're, now we have all, we have at least see every every human culture existing to even today all of them don't have the access to the food that that we have we've got you know i can count on and i live in a city i can there's grocery stores everywhere and i can walk to the grocery store, I can buy a whole lot of stuff. And that is, that is well, it's good and it's, and it's bad. It's made us so that we're totally dependent. We can't grow, we don't grow anything. We don't know how to produce anything. We count on, we, to get lights, we hit the switch. If we're, if we're hot, we turn on the air conditioner. If we're cold, we turn on the heat. If we take away those things, we won't survive.
2: Well, Just yeah, before... but civilization has always had an impact on base survival skills like that since the dawn of civilization in the Indus River Valley or in Mesopotamia, wherever you want to describe.
1: What has? Mis- yeah, the
2: civilization in yeah. general has had an impact on base survival skills. Mm-hmm. You know, a transition from hunter gatherer into agriculture. Because even when you transition to an agriculture based society, you know, it's not everyone's job to grow the food. It's certain people's jobs. And that's a service that's produced for the rest of society. And someone else makes the walls. Someone else is the warrior, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Specialized division of labor. Yeah. Now, Diane, we can't yeah. not only can we not grow food, none of us can even cook. We put it <laughs> in the microwave. <laughs> we go out to eat.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we have to, you know, Texas was a good uh, eye-opener, uh, just that whole grid situation when the grid, the grid went down.
2: It was a real eye-opener to pure privatization of energy.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? And- I
2: think that it's kind of obvious that something like that would happen I didn't know the details until it happened but then once it did I was like I didn't know that so what I do in those situations I look it up like I said and just having like pure privatization in that context you know it seems kind of obvious that without more strict enforcement of necessities of you know you know, like fail-safes and redundancies, you know, eventually something like that will happen. If it's purely on the interests and the onus of a private corporate, uh, corporation to maintain those things and oversee those things, you know, how quickly they'll respond to it is up to them. It's not like they're going to see jail time for not doing it or not doing it faster. You know, it's just public backlash, which there's a lot of, and there should be, but, you know, there could be more. And if there was more, then it probably wouldn't have happened.
1: The artful balance of government intervention and regulation yeah
2: there, there has there has to be both i don't believe the government should have complete say over everything but there has to be some that's the point of having a government and they, that's a pretty immediate and a recent example of you know there could be large scale things but that's still very large scale you know just it's so many people without power in winter or you know close to winter or or it's very cold climate and that's going to cause people to literally die a lot of people froze to death that's something that people don't even think of happening in a developed society with technology and it can because just like you were saying diane you know the lights go out you're we're just hunters and gatherers again when we don't have access to our tools (laughs) and we don't have the space or the skills to hunt and gather anymore
1: right maybe that'll be good for us
0: Well,
2: Uh, I don't know about that, but we should have the, the wherewithal to, you know, not have our tools, you know, collapse into dust in our hands. That's what we should be uh, awake about because I think humanity having tools and relying on tools is objectively a good thing. I'm in personal belief of that, but you know, we should be, we should be able to rely on them and that's a pretty easy way to rely on them
1: maybe we secretly want to go back there because look at the proliferation of these shows like survivor and all those (laughs) shows. that's
2: actually a really common joke on the internet and has been for like the last year is return to monkey is just you know abandoning tools and reversing to like you know primate style survival (laughs) but i don't personally
1: believe that no
0: (laughs) but you know though um if we look at something like climate change or, or even racial justice and we look cuz if we start to look back over the history of how which is the the work that we're doing now but for me and Farrell we're doing um we're creating something about how did we get here and we're talking about uh african americans because we looked at COVID, we look at covid-19 and we say jeez how come the black and brown people are the ones doing the essential work, not the necessarily there's some in the hospitals, but they're the workers that are, you know, lifting up the patients and, and doing that kind of thing. But they're the ones that are delivering hand delivering food to your door so that during this pandemic, because you didn't want to go out, you, you don't want to not only cook, you don't want to go out and pick up the food either. So you, you, you hire people to come and do that. But why are, why are these the people that all over the place that are doing this kind of work? And then when you look at the people, some people are fortunate to collect unemployment. And then you find some people don't get unemployment. All domestic workers, they don't get unemployment. And th- but then you look back to the 1935 Social Security Act and you see that agriculture workers and domestic workers who were 80% uh, African-American they cut them out of that deal. So there are answers. And so that's what we're doing now with the, uh, that the work that we're doing on May 8th, if anybody will have plenty of more information about that. But to answer those questions, you just, it's not hidden knowledge. It's, it's very easily found. It's just that you have to look for it yourself. If you just go to school and expect them to hand deliver. Your uh, knowledge to you. What are they going to give you? Do they think you want to be innovators and thinkers? No, they think you want to be employees, low level. So they don't want you to learn how to think or to create. They want you to learn how to take orders, and so that's what that's what you learn. If you want to learn more than that, you have to do what Jen does with her children, and what we did when you know when my children were small. We, you go out, you find out things, you just do things together. You find out, you learn, you grow together. That's what families do, that's what families are for. And if your family's not doing that, well, then you start doing that. So that when you have your families around you, then you start to create new ritual, new things for your children, for your families to do. Don't stop. And one of the other things that you said, Jen, I wanted to underscore, stop the blaming. Let's all, let's all stop blaming. That does nothing. Let's, let's see what, what can I do? And then I do that. And then when you start doing something, you're going to come into contact with other people who are doing something. And pretty soon we can change the world. That's what we can do.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So I have another question on the on the climate change, and this is a burning question. This is funny that I would say that, but when I saw Malibu burn, I was shocked because rich people living up in, in, in Malibu—that's not supposed to happen, right? They—they've they, got all these. I've been—I've uh, driven up that coast. It's beautiful, and when they burned and all—and all those people were affected, I was shocked. So how do we let that happen in the United States of America where rich white people are not supposed to have that happen to them? You can yeah. only
2: do so much to stop a natural disaster. You know, you can't, uh, there's stuff that you can do. Like I didn't know about the the, the gel paste that you described yeah. That's non uh, impacting on the ecology. That's really cool. And you can do stuff like that. You can have fast fire response by firefighters, whatever. And they'll go to places like that faster than they would somewhere of less interest, I guess. But, you know, there's only so much you can do. It's still going to happen.
1: Yeah. California is a mess. We geologists say that there are four seasons in California, Diane fire, flood, earthquake, and <laughs> landslide because it's and it's all geology because what what's happening is that whole area used to be underwater for a long time millions of years and sediment piled up on it and then there was uplift so we lifted it up above the seafloor so now you have a pile of sediment that's not consolidated so it's not you know structurally sound rock that is on an active fault zone and it is in a climate where those trees have to burn Some of the seeds in those ecosystems won't germinate unless the seed coat has been burned off. It's a fire dominated system. So you can't move into this area and not expect that your house is not gonna burn. I I just, the the outrage is a little bit interesting to me because (laughs) you've moved into the middle of a forest that's supposed to burn. You don't let it burn. You're on an active fault zone and you're on a pile of sediment that you know is, is slipping down because of gravity, and then you're somehow surprised. So, um, yeah,
0: we. So that, that's the answer. Then we need to be wiser and just th- those areas may be beautiful, but they may be to look at and not to, not to move on
2: until those problems can be fixed. Because what is science other than controlling nature, right? Or understanding nature, but applied science is controlling nature.
0: Well, that's like moving into a forest and being shocked when you see a bear. Oh, it
2: is, God. but you know, that used to be, you know, to go back a few hundred years, that was the case. We fixed that, you know, it was that was an easy problem to fix, <laughs> you yeah. know, comparatively
1: yeah. kill, to Earth. Kill them all, let God yeah. sort it out. <laughs> uh, isn't that a Marines thing? Yeah, so, yeah, um, we, 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 I forget the population today, but we're at a lot of people, and Disproportionate. We live at the coast. Globally speaking, we live in increasingly disaster-prone areas. Climate change, which is a good way, you know, to bring it, bring kind of back to climate change. Climate change is causing more hurricanes, more tornadoes, more thunderstorms, and is causing sea level to rise. And you put people at the coast in harm's way. And it isn't necessarily in this case a social justice issue because there are poor people that live in these low-lying coastal areas. But there are also, Diana, as you point out, very wealthy people living in these areas. And a hurricane doesn't matter. To, to, it doesn't matter to a hurricane what your bank account looks like. It's, it's coming, it's coming.
2: Those things are, uh, as they would be called, wrath of God. And you can't uh, barter with that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, we've come to the end of our time. This has been uh, delightful. Thank you very much for coming, and and uh, I hope we can bring more information to the people.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Great yeah. to see you, Pharaoh. Great to see you again, Diane.
0: And thank you, Pharaoh. As always, I really appreciate your co-host.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, thank you. Excellent. Okay. Have a great night. Thank you. you yes.
0: too. And now I'm gonna.